0: Welcome back. We are um, in—Tim, you got me? There we go. Um, We are in our sustenance series now, the third week in. Um, If you've been here the last couple weeks, right, we started with um, the sustenance of God's Word. Um, And the last week, we looked at sustenance that is brought about by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Today, we are going to look at how God brings um, sustenance or sustains us through prayer. And so that's going to be our focal point uh, for this morning. We've had this slide up there the last couple weeks, kind of with this working definition of what we mean by the word sustenance. I know every time this week I was thinking of the word sustenance, I always wanted to say substance. Um, So sustain is the word easier for me, so um, that's what you're going to get today. Um, But that is the sustenance of God, of how he sustains us, right? How he nourishes us, how he um, gives us what we need to keep going, supplies for the necessities of our life. Um, and then gives us support, endurance, and strength. And as I was thinking about that, that really actually um, describes the work of God overall. Um, and as I, was, as I was thinking about that and praying about that, actually two words um, kept coming to my mind and my heart all week long. Um, and it, actually in the Greek as well. But the word for salvation and the word for grace in, in the Greek... It's not only a, a, a one-time occurrence, it's a present tense verb or word, so it's not only for the moment, but it's ongoing. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, okay, definitely like I, I, I am saved, but God saves me. And this idea of grace, his grace is how he worked out his salvation for the moment, and then in my life, there is this word called sustaining grace. That's part of the definition of the word chira, uh, charis, uh of grace. That it sustains. And as I thought about that, one of the stories, there's many stories in the Bible that came to my mind to kind of reinforce that. But maybe you're familiar with the story of, we call it the rich young ruler. Right? Jesus was walking down the road and he meets this guy, younger guy, evidently, that has some money. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? And Jesus says, well, do you know the commandments? He's like, yeah, I've kept all those. That's good. And then, I love it in Mark's version. He says, he looked at him and he loved him. He said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the rich young dude, I guess, had too much to lose, and he walked away, and he rejected the offer of Jesus. And the disciples are there watching the whole time, and in that context, in that culture, like, the rich had it all. So for a rich man to walk away without puzzled the disciples, and Peter, being kind of sometimes the spokesman of the gang, says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. And this is how Jesus responds to that. I, I, I love these words in Mark 10. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children... For me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, brothers, homes, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with that, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. And so, what he's saying is, hey, look, I, I know you've left everything and you're following my call. And as you've left and the things that you've left, I am going to replace and refill and sustain you with grace in this life even in the midst of suffering, and eternal life to come. It's this idea of salvation and grace being played out, not only for the moment, for the whole of our lives. God sustains us by his own work and power. And as I was thinking about that and praying about it then for, um, for this moment, right, I, I thought of just some examples, right, maybe from everyday life. What does this look like, right? Well, um, so I've been told, right, you, you can save a cigar from the cigar shop and put it in a humidor in the right humidity and temperature, and it can be saved, kept for a long time, uh, like a good bottle of wine in a cellar, or um, cheese, right? And I guess maybe cheese might grow some old, You can cut it off, but cheese kind of seems to live forever. You just cut out the bad, and it's still there. Um, or if you want to just forgo all those, Twinkies are the way to go, right? So you can buy a box of Twinkies off the shelf, put them in your shelf, and between them, the cockroaches, there'll be everything that's left at the end, right? So, But these things that are sustained, these things that when they are saved and in the right condition, and the right condition with us is walking with the Spirit, we're saved, we're sustained, we are kept. God sustains us. And so as I was thinking about that, especially in the area of prayer, there were a couple of things that came to my mind. What does this look like? How are we sustained in prayer? Well, one of the things that we see actually Jesus modeling for us time and time again that the Gospels are clear to include in their story, the writers, is that Jesus time after time found places of solitude for prayer. We see that in Mark one thirty-five. that early in the morning, while right, it was still dark, he got up and he left the house and he went to a solitary place to pray. Then Luke says that after a time of significant ministry that had taken place, but Jesus often withdrew to quieter, lonely places to pray. And he says later on, on one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Pro, right? So when I see spent the night praying, that to me, and I'm not always the smartest, you know, guy, all night long means a long time, right? It's not just a two-minute, you know, God, thank you for this dinner I'm out to have, like, There's some investment of time in a solitude place. Or in Luke 9, 18, it says that once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. This idea of modeling what prayer in solitude and prayer over time looks like. And interestingly, if you go through a number of times when there seemed to be significant acts of ministry that Jesus would enter into, it was preceded by prayer. And I have to believe that in that prayer time, that was what was fueling him for what was about to be done. And oftentimes we see him going away to places to pray after um, significant times of ministry as well. But if you were to look, you would see that in choosing the 12 apostles, he prayed through the night first. That's the Luke six twelve verse. And after praying or having a conversation, a long, deep conversation with the Father, he came back to all of the group of disciples and picked the 12 apostles. But first he prayed. Now, you think about that. Before Peter's confession that you are the Christ, they spent time in prayer together. And then he asked him, Who do people say that I am? He says, No, you know this by the work of the Holy Spirit. But they had been praying. Before his, his um, transfiguration in Luke 9, right, he, he, he took Peter, James, and John with him out, and they were praying, and all of a sudden, right, the disciples looked up, and there was Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking about what was to come. But it was preceded by deep times of prayer. And then after that, right, you think about um, John 17, right before his betrayal, we call it the high priestly prayer. He prays for himself for these disciples, and then for those who would believe because of their message. And all that work of the last 2,000 years preceded by his prayer in that moment. And, of course, they walk down and up to the garden, and uh, you know the story, right? Before a time of uh, offering himself on the cross, he's in deep prayer, and then come the people to arrest him and betray him. But prayer precedes. Much of what we're called to do, it should precede that. It should come after that. It's a way that God refuels us for what's about to take place, also while it's happening and at the end. But this idea of solitude prayer. Jesus spoke about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But no, not with you. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is being done in secret will reward you. Right? So there's a couple things going on here. One is that that prayer isn't to be the focus of us. We're not putting ourselves on display. This isn't a knock about corporate prayer. It's about the heart. And prayer is a matter of the heart. And so Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't, be, don't be about your heart. Be about the heart of God and align your heart with Him. This isn't about you. It's about Him. And He can do things for you, but seek Him out. And one of the things, I know you, you've heard me talk about all my running escapades all the time, so you get to hear a little bit more about that today, right? But when, when I'm on Friday mornings and I'm out for hours on end um, in different places I go train— I'm spending quite a bit of time in prayer, prayer and worship, prayer in the word, but prayer because I know I need to be refueled week in, week out, day in and day out, and, and if I 'm out there by myself anyhow, then I might as well take advantage of everything, right? Not just the, the physical health, but the spiritual um, health as well. Every once in a while, when I know that I, I just need a significant time of prayer, and maybe before I go running. Um, There's a place I go to. My family knows, hey, my dad's not answering his cell phone, and I see he's over in Santa Cruz. He is right here. It's called Pleasure Point. The locals call it the hook. It's where 41st Street dead ends at the ocean, and there are three benches, or picnic tables. Um, I can't tell you how many times, like Friday, three days ago, I just go and sit on the top of that picnic bench, and I have to stare at that sight. What a drag, huh? It was kind of flat in the morning. It got the swells picked up. Um, but that's where I go. Sometimes quarterly for hours with my earbuds in and my hoodie over and my focus on. Not worrying about the people that are around. It was hard to do on Friday because there was a call for a a person in distress. And like everybody showed up with lights on. So I'm like, this is not solitude. But in the past it has been. It's been ways that God has spoken to me over the decades. One such time I was sitting in my spot. It's my spot. God gave me this vision probably about 15, 18 years ago, for ministry. I, I didn't know what it was going to be at the time. I thought maybe it would be a church plant. I thought it would be many of things. Um, then I thought I was crazy. But it had this word tapestry to it. I'm still trying to figure it out. Maybe it's a life call. But I go back to here and say, God, what, what is this thing about tapestry? Am I crazy? Then he answered that prayer. Because at three different times over the years, that people who had no idea of that word and this vision or this thing that he gave to me came up to me and said, you know, Tim, I've been praying for you, and God gave me this word, and it's going to seem very weird. But does the word tapestry mean anything to you? And one person even was praying for me, didn't even know that, told my mom, who said, this is going to sound crazy. Does the word mean something to your son? And she's just like, huh, you have no idea. But this comes with time. Over time, over time being spent in prayer and listening for the voice of God. And it sustains us, it refuels us. And then Jesus also goes on to speak about prayer in this manner it's the Sermon on the Mount, Luke's version. And he says, "So I say to you: Ask and it will be given; seek and you will find; knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives; to the one who seeks, finds; and to the one who knocks, the door will be open." And which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, I love this part. If you then, though you are evil, <laughs> know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven? our good, good father that we sang about, give perfect gifts. And I like how Luke has it here because he says, how much more will he give of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And see, when we come into to Christ in faith, we are given the Holy Spirit. But I think what it's saying here is he keeps giving more of himself. He sustains us by nourishing us with himself. Right? If there was a superfood that's going to help us to endure, it's the Holy Spirit. It's what we talked about last week, and we come to him asking, seeking, knocking. There's a a, um, determination and perseverance to that. And I want you, God, give me more of you. And he does, because he's a good, good father. And he knows how to give the perfect gifts. And so part of that prayer and sustenance is he gives of himself continually to his children. And Jesus says, come, keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And then there's other ideas of prayers of sustenance. The psalmist puts it this way. Cast your cares on the Lord, for he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And really that word shaken means destroyed, right? We do go through hard times, but when we go through hard times, because we've been dependent on the sustenance of God, we are not destroyed. Because we have given him the concerns that we carry. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Maybe this is sounding familiar to you in a different context because the Apostle Peter wrote almost the same thing. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right? And I know that this has been part of my personal experience that that as I do this, this is done in the context in an operation of prayer that I'm casting my cares, my concerns, my worries, the things I'm not meant to carry that slow me down and, and take my energy, that in prayer with the Word and the Holy Spirit, I cast those things back to God. I give them to Him and say, you deal with it. And will you replace that, that negative energy, if you will, that negative thought, those negative things that, that slow me down, will you refuel me? And that's part of my prayer process. That's part of how I, I work that out. Can I work out the, the bad in my, in my system, if you will, and bring in the good that sustains? But I give it to him. I cast it to him, right? It means to throw it away. It's not like, here, help me carry this. It's a hands-free type of a, of a, of a, of a cry. No, you take it. Right? I, I don't want that back. God, help me sustain me. Strengthen me. And then sometimes that comes back on my shoulders and I take it off and I throw it to him again. I take it away this time. Because he cares for you. The Apostle Paul has a similar idea and he puts it this way in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. And I love that part there, the Lord is near. I I connect that with what we looked at last week, the Holy Spirit. Right? As Christ followers, we're never without Him. Sometimes we forget that, right? And that's a matter of our perspective, not His perspective. But when I am in prayer and I'm in prolonged prayer, it allows Him the time and the opportunity to reset my perceptions and my perspective. And I remember he's here. He's with me. He never leaves me or forsakes me. And as I pray, right, those things, because I've, I, I, I connected with the word, the word just comes back over and over in prayer. And I'm reminded of his truths, that he is here. And then Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And and that's what what this this tool is or this weapon that God has given us is prayer. Prayer does so much to to refocus us, to sustain us. And, And again, not always that it's me talking to him, but a key part of that then is me just being silent and waiting. Which is why sometimes I go to some of those places, because sometimes it takes him a while to figure out how he wants to respond to me, if it's going to be in the moment. And so if I'm going to wait for a while for him to kind of get back to me on that, then I just love staring at his creation. But it helps me to rejoice, and it gets my heart right. And even if he's like, hey, I'm not going to give you the answer right now, but I appreciate the time that we spent together, Tim. Now let's, let's talk about this again soon because I'm, I'm working on it. All right. You're God, I'm not. You'll let me know. He knows my cell phone number. Trust me. But then Paul goes on in this and he says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And as I think about this verse, this for me is where a lot of that sustenance, nourishment, strengthening takes place in prayer is with this peace that God gives. He takes away the anxiety and the worry and the things that I'm not meant to be freaking out about. And he gives me what I need, which is the very peace of God. And I, and I think it's intentional that as Paul writes, he calls out two words. He calls out your heart and your mind. That in our hearts and in our mind is, are the critical areas where I think we need to be refueled and replenished. Right, and as I was thinking about that, for the the word that came to my mind was was theater. Right, like a war, like a theater of war, a place where war is taking place because the enemy wants to have a field day with us, with our mind and our heart. That's where, for me, that's where it seems like I'm attacked the most in my thoughts and in my heart. But the more and more I surrender in prayer to Him, and I have this peace, He comes into my mind and my heart, that theater of war, and He kicks the enemy's butt. And also theater, right? It is a place where we play out life. And the enemy wants to flip the script of how we're actually doing it for Christ and have them follow him. And by centering myself prolonged in prayer with the peace of God, it helps me to get back on the right script. Time and time again. And so this idea of heart and mind, heart and mind. That he sustains me for living by keeping sure that my heart and my mind are in a right place. And as I thought about that, there were a number of scriptures that came to my mind. So I have a few here that I've referenced. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I have to pay attention. Somebody says, above all else? Like, there's a lot that the word says, right? But if it says above all else, it means above all else. There's a preeminent command that God gives is to guard our heart because that's where we love. That's where we prioritize what's first in our life. And he says, above all else, whatever you do, just do this one thing, Tim, guard your heart. Because when it's sustained and when it's fueled, it's the wellspring of life. Or Jeremiah 17, it, it, it's kind of like the diagnosis of our heart with the doctor God. He says, the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Right? The, 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 the prophet comes and says, hey, look, you want the diagnosis of the heart? Here it is. It is deceitful and beyond cure. Like, what a wreck. And he goes on to say, and God is the one who examines the heart and the mind. But if we were just left with those words, it'd be so sad. But then God spoke through Jeremiah and Ezekiel saying almost the same thing. He says, he says, and I will one day remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will write my law on your heart. You will know me like never before. We know the heart doctor. His name is God. Or Romans 12, 9 and 10, it says that if you... It's with your mouth you confess and you're saved and your heart you believed and you were made righteous. It's where the battle is taking place and in the mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians there that because we have the Spirit, we have been given the mind of Christ. Now, does it doesn't mean that I always think like Him or act like Him or I am Him, but it does give me by the power of the Holy Spirit the, the ability to think like Him and along His way because I have His Word and I know what He says. Or Philippians 4, if I were to read after the the verses I had here, it says that finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. That when my mind and my thought process go awry, I come to God in prayer, he gives me that peace, and then he helps me to think of things that are more profitable for me than what are destructive. He says, yeah. Yeah. Think about those things, starting with prayer and remembering who he is, and he gives us that peace. Now think about these things. Why? Because Romans 12 too, that battleground. Do not be conformed anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Then you'd be able to test and know what God's will is, his perfect, pleasing will. But without our mind in a right place, and for me, again, it comes in prayer. And so these two key areas, my heart and my mind, my heart and my mind, day in, day out, moment by moment, I sometimes need to come back and just keep plugging back in. Like, like a cell phone with a bad battery, I have to just you know, keep my, keep my, my, uh, my, my plug close at hand, and, a, and he's the power source. These two, two areas of, of, um, of the battleground. Our heart and our mind. And as I thought about that, I want to end with this story. This this may be familiar scripture with you, and um, I don't have slides for it. I wanted to use um, my uh, U version beta that I've had for a long time here before we went digital, right? <laughs> so you can listen. You probably might be familiar with this this story. Luke chapter ten. Jesus says, I I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter by the sheep pen, by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow because they know his voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So therefore, Jesus said again, "I, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters by me, and through me will be saved. He will come in, and he will go out and find pasture. You see, the thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away, and the wolf attacks and flo- and, and the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep, I have other sheep who are not of this pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice the reason the Father has loved me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to pick it back up. And I thought about this. It's that voice. Now, granted, in that context, in the moment, God was Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, incarnate, and and they could actually hear his voice. But we're not 2,000 years ago. We're here in 2020, the year of vision. How do we hear his voice? We hear his voice through the word of God and the Holy Spirit. We can still know the voice of Jesus. And what does this look like? Maybe there's some practical ways. We um, went as a family in the first week of January to Disneyland. That was our Christmas gift to each other, and we were staying at a property right next door, and we were walking, and we wanted to make it more economical, so we brought as much food as we could in our backpack, having planned for the day. And we came up to this uh, stoplight, and there was a guy holding a sign. He was in need. And as I saw him, right, I heard the voice of the master saying, you have food, give it to him. Right? So I took what I had packed for my lunch and my snacks for our all-day excursion in Disneyland. We don't cut out short, right? We don't go back for naps to the hotel. Shop till you drop, baby. So right, so I, I gave it to him, and he looked up at me. Thank you. And we had fun at Disneyland. Then that next day, as I was praying and getting ready and packing our food, I thought, I, I bet you this guy's going to be there again today. So then I got a Ziploc bag. I put more in there, and more, and a cup of coffee, and some creamers, and And came up, and sure enough, there he was. And so, and I I gave them to him. I mean, God bless you. And he looked up at me, and he said, ah, you have a kind heart. I said, ah, it's because he's given me a kind heart. Trust me, I, I know the condition of my heart left alone. But what? It was me following the voice of God And how do I know that voice? Because I spend time in his word, like we looked at two weeks ago, and I've had many conversations with God, the Holy Spirit. So I know his voice. Let's see what, what is important for us to take that sustenance of the Word and the Holy Spirit because our minds and our hearts, that if we have not spent that time in solitude, sometimes we can't discern the voice of God from the voice of the enemy. Because the voice of the enemy, he, he's crafty. He's not stupid. It's that same thing in the garden. Did, did God really say... Oh, he knows if you eat, you'll be just like him. And sometimes the the word of the enemy and the voice of the enemy, oh, he's, he's tricky. He tries to imitate the voice of God so often and so brilliantly. And as I thought about that, right, there's some things. There's this idea, God works in our heart by the Holy Spirit to bring conviction as part of the role of the Holy Spirit. So he will reveal things to you that are not right, that you have done. But he he doesn't stop there. His purpose then is to come alongside of you so that you will deal with that, so you will be healthier and better sustained and fulfilled and healthy. There's a word called shame. It sounds almost identical to conviction, but shame is there to keep you down. uh, You're still struggling with this sin? You'll never overcome that. You'll never get better. What a loser. You're still struggling with that. You're a pastor. You're a leader. Oh, you should quit. Am I alone? Do, has anybody ever had that in their mind? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry it even starts young. It's called Original Sin. That's another Sunday. Right? But, but then what about faith? Right? Faith comes up, but then fear seems to be right next to it. Or value. Like, I know I am worth the Son of God, and I know who I am. I'm more than a conqueror. I have an inheritance. I am, I am purchased. I'm bought with a price. I know all of those truths. But then yet sometimes the enemy will come alongside and say, Really? Is that really who you are? I mean, if you were, like, wouldn't he answer you sooner? He's been silent. He, he might have deleted your phone number. But those, those things, the battleground of our heart and our mind, where it is the voice of God and the enemy that is trying to mimic him as close as possible. But if we do not know the word of God and we're in touch with the Holy Spirit, we aren't able to discern sometimes what is the voice of God and what is the voice of the trickster. But we're supplied with a new life in Jesus, and he gives us these these tools to replenish us. He gives us his word. He gives us the spirit. He gives us prayer. And I wonder sometimes if we utilize those three things, these first three things that we've looked at, enough for our spiritual health, right? It, I heard the echoes. Am, am I the only one that has those battles in my heart, my mind? If you're with me, just raise your hand. So I see. Look, and it can be discouraging. Like really, like I took that class already. I dealt with that sin already. Right, and I remind, I keep reminding, I have to keep going in prayer and remind him, no, I, it says, the Bible says, I am forgiven. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And there's a difference between that salvation prayer, I'm one and done, I am in. You can't take away my inheritance. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that word has to keep coming back over and over and over to drown out the lies of the enemy because he never shuts up. But prayer, and if we take the, sometimes if we take the shortcut of prayer, that it just seems like uh, the battle doesn't really leave us. And I know we want that battle to be done with. Can we just like, deal with this subject and be done? And we'll wait for the next issue to come up. But he knows all of our weaknesses. He knows what we, what we lust for. He knows what we desire And if it's not him first and foremost, that's that above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And when we don't know how to do that, we have a Father who is waiting to hear from us in prayer. And that's how we're going to end at least this sermon. I'm going to have the worship team um, come back up uh, now, and they're going to— Lead us in, in a bit of worship. But I want to have these questions up there as they're coming up. Um, I want to have these next two, two songs. Just you have the ability to take the time right here and right now to apply what we've just been talking about, to spend maybe some time in prayer. Uh, maybe this, that first one is just kind of diagnostic. Like, how has my prayer life been really? How have I been doing with this honestly? And then ask him to help you. Or maybe these two, they're just totally application for you to pray through as we sing, or they sing over us, is how do you cast your cares upon him and do that in prayer while we're worshiping? And then how are we sustained? Ask him, God, fill me, sustain me, give me the the nutrition of your word that I need to keep going the extra mile. So with that, I want to start us off in prayer, and, and you can flip the screen to the worship song. Take... Take the time just to pray or worship as you want. Stand, sit, however you need to. But this is time for you to worship primarily through prayer as they sing. Let me pray, and then they'll start the time of worship. God, thank you for the gift of this morning. You met us here. You were waiting. God, speak to all of us, to our heart and our mind, and the things that you desire to reveal to encourage, to nourish, to sustain. God, thank you for this time of worship that we can talk with you. And you can hear us above the words and the music. Amen.